Today we're covering uh, the first 16 verses of this chapter, two more messages, and we will finally complete the book of Romans in its entirety. I'm going to read aloud, ask you to follow along silently in your Bible, whichever translation you have, that's fine, in English. Mine may read a little differently than yours if you prefer a different one than the one we're using. So let me start at verse 1. I commend you to our sister, to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centuria, um, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Uh, greet also my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert into Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong in the, fa the family of Narcissus. Greet those, who, those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet, uh, <clears throat> greet the beloved Persis, who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobos, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with the holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, before we get into prayers, we're going to go to prayer. I will let you know that this is a battleground text uh, that has much literature written on it in regards to the role of women in ministry. I will not be dealing with that issue today. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. Father, we give thanks to you for this another opportunity to gather as your family. Uh, this local assembly, an expression of what you're doing worldwide and throughout the ages of this earth gathering people to yourself through your son, Jesus Christ, by the power and work of your spirit. We thank you that we're able to gather. Lord, would you uh, speak to our hearts today and minds? Would you take this scripture and minister to, minister to us where we need to be ministered to and guide us in the way that is pleasing to you? Lord, we pray that you would be honored by what is said and done. And Lord, if there's anything that I need to be cleansed from, cleanse me because of the blood of Jesus Christ our great advocate and high priest. We look forward to his return, for him to rule over the nations of this world and over us personally. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. Thank you for all that you've allowed us to experience in this service thus far. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So last Sunday we had a chance to uh, have our annual church picnic at Seaboard Park. And I was afforded the privilege to serve at the welcome table. And that was a nice responsibility for me. It was very simple what I had to do, which was to greet people as they came and then ask them to put on a name tag, to write their names down on a name tag, and then fill it out and fix it to their person. And so that's what I did. As people arrived uh, up until the rain started, until my time was finished, I 
greeted and smiled and tell people we were welcome and thank them and then asked them to put on a name tag. And being in this position allowed me the opportunity to make a couple of observations that I wouldn't mind sharing with you. One was I got a chance firsthand to be reminded about the diversity of our church family. So as people were coming up, I noticed that there were young people and then there were seasoned people. There were people who had recently started attending and there were people who were longtime members. There were people who were small and there were people who were really tall. And so there's a, a lot of diversity in our church family. And by, because I was able to stand there, I, because I was kind of away from the action, I had a chance to, to look at all of what was happening as a holistic kind of event that was transpiring behind me. And it was a, a beautiful sight to see. There were people who were smiling, people who were talking, people who were laughing, and lots of people were eating. So there's lots of food moving in. And then in the background, what I could see was there were some kids and some adults who had a chance to play and enjoy themselves together. And, and as I reflected on that, I thought to myself, that's what church is about, community, community. A community of people who are united by Christ and living for Christ. There were people that were on the grill who were, who were cooking up the food and, and people bringing dishes to be shared by others. There were people in the kitchen that were cleaning up the dishes that had been used in the trays so that as others arrived that they could use those. And there were others who were going out and serving and bringing out the various dishes at, at different times to refill what had been eaten up and taken. People were loving and serving one another. And I was thankful, thankful to be part of this community. Because I've always wanted to be part of a Christian community where the people seem to genuinely care about one another, don't you? But more to the point, I would say this is exactly what Jesus wanted for his community. And it's not so matter what I think that's important as much as what Jesus wants and thinks is important. So Jesus wanted to impress on his apostles who would become the leaders of the church that would move these things forward, that would basically work out to be where we are today, he wanted them to understand there were some key ideas or concepts of how he wanted to shape his community, what he wanted it to look at and what he wanted it to feel like uh, when this community gathered and how it related to one another. And so, so Jesus on the last night, right before he would go to the cross and die, he, he began to teach his disciples and impress on them some of these final things that he wanted to say. So after he had washed their feet in the upper room, he said this to them. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Later that night, after they had left the upper room, Jesus goes on to reiterate and say again what's on his heart and what's most important to him. To, to him and he tells his apostles this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, in the instruction of others, especially if you're trying to impress a point home, one of the ways you let people know what's really important to you is you state it again. So Jesus, again, just a little while later, would go on to say something very similar to press home that this is what he wanted to see in the community that he was forming. He said to them, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have 
loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I would say from in light of what Jesus said on, on this, this night before his crucifixion, what was important to him and what he expects from the community of believers that he founded is love. If you think about it, he founded this community by the greatest act of love in human history. He died for our sins and he was raised from the dead, as Paul says, for our justification. And as Paul and other New Testament apostles that know, God called us into this community as a gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, his assembly ought to look like what he hoped for, what he wanted, what he desired, which should be a place where we care about one another. So we find ourselves here at the end of the book of Romans, and Paul again takes the opportunity to press home what Jesus wanted for his community that the community would obey the Lord's command to be unified in our love for Christ and our love for one another. And he does it through greetings, greetings. Now, for some of us, we get to this section of the letter and, and, and pretty much, if we're to be honest, we might just skip it. Keep on reading and just jump to the next section because what, what, what is there really here to see? I mean, just keep moving. Get to the next doctrinal portion. Let me get to the, to the next letter in the New Testament. But I, but I would warn you, don't be so quick because you might miss the richness of what we see in this text. Paul here encourages and models what he's been teaching in the first 15 chapters that we have. Yes, we have a list of names with some remarks, but remember, every one of these names represents a real person and a real life. Just like when you pass by a cemetery and you notice that there are gravestones and on those gravestones are names. Those were real people who lived real lives just like you and I. And it's in these remarks that Paul makes about those who are there that we see ways in which the church cared for one another and how we can be a caring community. And so from the names and the comments that Paul makes, I want to highlight three brief ways that I think we see in the text we can demonstrate our care for one another because of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. First, we care when we show genuine affection for, for one another. We care when we show genuine affection for one another. Please notice a word that is in the text. You've probably heard it a number of times. It is the word greet. I uh, tried to count the words as best as I could and be as accurate as possible. I think that I counted 17 uses of the word in 16 verses. Feel free to take a moment and count them yourselves. And if I didn't get it right, you can always let me know after the service. And I would appreciate that. But the sentiment that Paul is expressing here is one we express sometimes ourselves. If you're like me and you have family that lives far away from you, and you call them up and you say to them, hey, I'm not going to be there. And I'm about to say goodbye. And I say, hey, listen. Tell everyone there that I love them. Give them a hug for me and a kiss. I can't be there personally, but would you, as my representative, take the affection that I have in my heart and on my behalf, express it to those who are in the community where you are. That's exactly what Paul is getting at here. And we know now, as we, some of us have been from different cultures, that greetings don't always look the same in every culture. My wife uh, comes from Puerto Rico, and so when she moved to America, she had a different way of greeting than we do here on the mainland. Uh, but, but, but that's okay. And so, so generally, they had things too as well. And, and often it embraces sometimes 
you know, embracing each other, kissing each other, offering a hand, or sometimes what we might put under the label of some form of worship. Look at verse 16. We find a hint there of what was part of the greetings for the first Christian community, that early Christian community. Paul says, give a holy kiss. There was some kissing going on in church. Now, this is good where it's good to have a good background commentary to, to give you a window into the culture of that day as it, it might be removed from us for those who might not have grown up in an environment where this was practiced. So this is what they say about the kind of kissing that went on and to whom it happened and who it happened between. So kisses were a common form of affection, of greeting from family members, intimate friends, and those who were objects of respect. That's nothing unusual. That, that happens today with us. But the kiss was normally a light kiss on the mouth, not readily distinguishable from a lover's passionate kisses. So husbands and wives versus your friend, you were kissing them differently. Right? Nevertheless, due to abuses in subsequent centuries, the church limited the practice of the liturgical kiss of fellowship. Now, here, here's what's interesting. Between men to men only and women to women only. Although this was not the original initial practice. So when you came to church and you greeted somebody, you would kiss everybody, right? A little smack on the lips, right? If it was a brother, you give him a kiss. If it was a sister, you give her a kiss. Same way. Just that was the kind of practice of the, of the day. Now, needless to say, with my 21st century uh, sensibilities, I was a little bit, uh, what's the right word, uncomfortable. It was hard for me to imagine Paul walking up to me, putting a little kiss on my lips. I'd be like, oh, amen, apostle. <laughs> Paul, amen, amen, brother. <laughs> Personal space, man. <laughs> and I was talking to a brother after service, and he let me know that there are some groups that still practice this today. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I was like, okay, all right. Well, Justin Barter, who writes later uh, in the first half of the second century, said that, uh, this would often be practiced um, on, on a time when they were going to have uh, communion. It would be right after the prayer for, for the service and then right before you would have communion. And interesting today, we're having communion. I'm not going to apply it that way that you think I might want to apply this. I'm not going to say that what the Bible is teaching is that you ought to get up and kiss somebody, give them a little smack, let them know that you love them. Uh, that, that's not what I think this, this text is teaching. One of the brothers last service said, amen, brother, amen. He was happy that I was not going to be saying that, you know. So, uh, and we realized that, hey, expressions, cultural, some of this stuff is just rooted in culture of the day, and that was appropriate for them, but we have different ways of greeting today. Paul's main point is this. He said it in Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine. That's what he's getting at. This affection is an expression of genuine concern and love for others who are in the family of God, just like you're in the family of God. So in our church history, in our life, one of the ways that we tried to do this before the pandemic was we took time in every worship service that we had. About two minutes was what we would do, just because, you know, you, you, you could go on for hours just greeting people. Uh, but we would say, hey, stop the service. We'd say, hey, get up. Go and greet somebody nearby you. And if you haven't seen somebody in a while, if you don't know somebody, make sure you especially greet them. Right? And we weren't expecting for you to go over and kiss somebody on the lips. We weren't asking that. It was just this idea that, hey, look, depending on your relationship with them, uh, your own personal boundaries, you might wave at them. You might give them a handshake. If you knew them well, you might give them a hug. I'm so happy to see you. I haven't seen you in a week. And 
you give them a hug. And, and that's kind of how we did it. Why were we doing that? We wanted to encourage an atmosphere of love. So if you were to, to, to go through our formal membership process and you were to come to our membership class, one of the first things that we would tell you is that we ask all members, hey, listen, if you want to be a member of this church, and it's a choice on your part, but if you want to be counted as a member of this body of believers, one of the things we require of you, of you is that you say, hey, yes, I agree as a member of this church that I'm going to care about other people who are in this assembly. And so we're not asking anyone to violate any of their personal boundaries or conviction. Greeting may be different for you based on your relationship and what is appropriate for the situation. What we're saying here is that it ought to be an expression of affection in the body of Christ. Notice how Paul qualifies it in verse 16. He doesn't just say any kind of kiss. He says a holy kiss. That ought to be out of the right motives, not under the influence of the flesh, but under the influence of the spirit, so it remains like the Lord is holy because his people ought to be holy like the Lord is. So Paul says to the believers in Rome, I want you to show love for one another, and the way that you can do that is by greeting each other because Paul was trying to get at something because of the dissensions. He knew that if you have an atmosphere where people love and are concerned and expressing that love and concern, it helps to build unity and bring down divisions in the church. Second in the text, we care when we help one another by meeting needs. We care when we help one another by meeting needs. In the first two verses of this chapter, we notice that Paul endorses Phoebe to the believers in Rome. Phoebe is the carrier of the letter and most likely the reader and interpreter of the letter as well. She's going to answer questions because she was there with Paul, and as he gave this letter, anything that he wanted to say, he communicated to her. Now, most likely because uh, they didn't have mail service like we do, she was a businesswoman and she was traveling from her city on her way to Rome, and so it was, it was uh, convenient for Paul to give her as a person he trusted this letter to carry to them and, and to deliver it to the church in Rome. And he says to them, show her some hospitality. Meet whatever needs she might have. That, that might be that she needed a place to stay. She might need some food to eat. She might need some money to, to keep making her travels. Or she might need some other resources. Whatever she needs, give it to her. What does he base this fact on? Two things in the text. One, he says, hey, she's family. That's your sister in Christ. And that's what you do for family. You help them out. Second thing in the text, he says, notice the kind of character that Phoebe has. He says, listen, she's one who has done what I'm asking you to do for her, for many other believers. She's provided logic. She's provided food. She's given finances and resources. She's used what she had to help other believers along. And now she's in a place of need. So why don't you reciprocate and show this sister what it means to be welcomed by the saints? Do what she has done for others. One of the ways we can show that we care is by offering hospitality. In the next three verses, we see some other examples of how this might play out of caring for others as we read about Prisca and Aquila. They're mentioned several times in the New Testament. New Testament. You can find them in Acts 18, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. Uh, they served alongside Paul. They were missionaries. They had worked in the churches of the Gentiles and helped plant churches on their own, even a, apart from Paul. But it's these comments that he makes about them that we see two more examples of how we can help one another. Look at the verses. Notice what he says about them. First thing he says is, they risked their lives to save my life, Paul says. 
We don't know where it happened. We don't know when it happened. We don't know how it happened. We just know it happened. At some point, Paul was in danger as he had been in danger many times in many travels from all kinds of dangers that he talks about. And, and on one of those cases, as on previous occasions or, or later occasions, his life was in danger and Priscilla and Aquila were in a position to save his life. Now, they could have opted and said, hey, brother, hey, I'm not going to put my own life at risk. You know, that's just on you. But what they said was, hey, we're willing to allow our lives to be put in danger so that your life can be saved. That's part of what Christian love looks like. It reminds us of the words of Jesus when he said, as this Prisca and Aquila lived this out, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. In addition, he reminds that not only were Prisca and Aquila willing to put their lives on the line for Paul and perhaps I would say other believers as well. But notice what he says about how they use their resources in the text. He says, listen, there's a church that meets in their house. Now, from what we know of Roman culture and society at that time, most of the dwelling places were what we would consider to be, from our standpoint, modern apartment forms. But Prisca and Aquila said, hey, listen, whatever we have, our possessions, we're willing to use them for the good of the people of God and so that the purposes of Christ are achieved in the world. We need a place to meet. Our house is open. Come here. Use what God has given to us so that the purposes of God, the people of God, may gather and continue to worship Christ. What we have is available to you. See, when we care about one another, we'll seek to help meet needs others because of our relationship with Christ. Years ago, I had a chance to go on a mission trip, a local mission trip with my church in Dallas. Uh, we went to Seattle. One of the brothers uh, from our church family went to Seattle, Washington, uh, and to plant a church. He used to be part of a, a group, I don't know if you remember them, called the Power Team, where they would do these like feats of strength and then share the gospel. And so he had gone to plant a church in Seattle. And so we went up to, to help this church plan out and to reach the community. They were doing evangelistic outreach. And, and so we wanted to be a part of that and help him reach the community uh, and share the gospel. And so we, we kind of did that. So we went up. And as I was there, I got a chance to meet some of the, the members of the church who had responded as they had done, done evangelistic efforts, had become part of the church and, and joined the family. And, and I heard a, a, a lot of interesting stories just, just about what was going on. One of the ones that I remember that really impressed me was something that happened that the pastor had done himself, he and his wife. So one of the families in this church, and I think the guy had become a deacon by this point in the life of the church, and there was a point at which his wife, who had stayed home with the kids, he all of a sudden unexpectedly lost his job. And with that loss of employment without finances meant he lost the place for him and his family to stay. And so they, they found themselves in a place of need. And so the pastor did something that I just thought was radical. He said he and his wife got together and they told his family, hey, listen, you're believers, we're believers. Come, live in our house until you can get on your feet. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about paying bills. Just look for a job. And whenever that is that you get a job and you're able to get on your feet and save up money, then you can leave the house. But until then, we want you to live in our house and be part of our family. So they ate meals together. They shared there, and the husband stayed there. And for at least six months, they lived with the pastor and his family. Brothers and sisters, that's part of what it looks like to be a Christian. I experienced a similar thing when I came here to Living Water. When we were moving up from Dallas here to, to PA, one of the elders of our church and his wife opened their home to us, and they said to us, come in, stay in our house, eat up our food, sleep in our beds, and no rent, no cost to you. 
You just stay with us, and then until your apartment is ready, and then when your apartment is ready, then you can go when you're well on your way. So we stayed there for two weeks, rent-free, able to eat up food and enjoy fellowship with them because they said, listen, you're believers, we're believers. This is what, how it lives out. Come and stay with us. Brothers and sisters, that's part of what it means to love one another. Sometimes, though, helping comes with a price tag. Notice verses 6 and verse 12. Paul says, Mary worked hard, and Persis, she also worked hard for the Lord. John Chrysostom, a church leader living in the second half of the fourth century, wrote this about those early women. He said, for the women of those days were more spirited than lions, sharing with the apostles their labors for the sake of the gospel. In this way, they went traveling with them and also performed all other ministries. Paul says there was a sacrifice that they made for other believers. They labored for them. They put in effort and work. They expended energy in the service of other believers and for the sake of the gospel. Now, Paul doesn't specify the kind of labor. We can look throughout the New Testament and see some of the examples. I would include in that it probably had to do with meeting spiritual needs. And at times, even meeting people's spiritual needs, not just their physical needs, requires work from us. Sometimes it looks like when you're at home, you're about to flip on Netflix or Hulu or, or Amazon Prime or Paramount Plus or whatever it is that you're about to do. Perhaps even sit down to read a good book that you want to catch up on. And right then, right when you feel tired, that the phone call comes in and a brother or sister on the line said, do you have a minute? I'm having some struggles in life. Can I talk to you? And in that moment, everything in you is saying, look, I really don't want to talk to you right now. Call me back tomorrow when I have more energy or on the weekend because I have to go to work tomorrow. But what do you do? You stay on the phone and you, 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 you listen and, and you, 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 you hear what they have to say. And, 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 and as, as you listen, you pray and, and you pray and ask God to give you wisdom and bring scripture to your mind so that you can give guidance and counsel to direct them in the right way. Sometimes it looks like a family gets in crisis. And you've got to cut out some of your hobbies or some of the activities you do and make space in your life on your schedule so that they can come and sit with you and you can sit with them and walk them through the issues that they're dealing with. And you can listen to and help them overcome marriage struggles or whatever issues it is that they're dealing with to know how to live out their life. And it costs you time over a period of time. And that that's work. Sometimes it means. You have to put in the effort to buy some books to do some reading and some studying on your own so that you can help another believer as they have questions about this faith and about what the scripture is saying and you have to go invest money and purchase books on Amazon or download them to whatever app you have. And you got to read the book and you got to research and, and, and see what the positions are and try to understand what the scriptures teach so that you can share, them, share with them and walk them through so that they can make it through and that their faith can last and remain in Christ. And sometimes you got to deal with the frustration of what it means to disciple another person through the ups and downs of life and the ins and outs of their faithfulness with Jesus. Notice what the text says in verse 7. Paul says that Andronicus and Junia were so much laboring that they were even willing to go to prison for the sake of the gospel. Help sometimes has a price tag, but when we care, we'll help one another because of Christ. Lastly, we care when we live in unity with one another. We care when we live in unity with one another. So studies that have been done on this text, they have been exhaustively done uh, to study the names in this list and compare them with other ancient sources of names and what we know about that to get an idea about who's in this church. And, and, and those studies have been valuable because what they have shown us is that this church in Rome is diverse. Uh, we may not know exactly how, 
how diverse it was in the sense of who did what and who was who. But we do get the idea that there was a diversity. Some of these names seem to point that some were Jewish, some people were Greek, and some people were Latin. And, and we don't necessarily know that they always worked out exactly the way we think because the names kind of switched over. People took certain names at different times for various reasons. And one of the names on the list might even indicate that there's some Persian ancestry in the list as well. And as they've done these studies, one of the things they also found out about culture in the past is that depending on your social status in society, you were given certain types of names. If you were a slave, there were certain names that were given to you that wouldn't be given to a person of aristocracy, a person who had means and money. You wouldn't receive that kind of name because that would indicate that you had either been a slave or were a slave. And that's how society divided up on the list. And so when we look at those kind of names and we look at the names on the list, we find out that either... Many of these people who were on the list either were slaves when Paul was writing or they were freedmen or freed women, that they had been slaves at some point in their life and their name said, this marked you out as a slave. Now, interestingly, in the first three centuries, one of the things that the church did is when they pooled their money together, they would take that money and buy the freedom of slaves and sometimes use it to... to, to feed the poor, and that's why sometimes we don't know necessarily if these were all free people because the church would free slaves by using the money to pay for their freedom. Now we see on the other end of the spectrum that there are believers who seem to be of wealth. Phoebe, Prisca, and Aquila, the reason they're able to do this traveling and, and be able to expose or serve the ministry like this is because most likely they are people of means. But if you look at the text, you'll also notice that about one-third, about 33% of the people on the list are women. And if I count them correctly, there are about 10 women that are mentioned who serve for the sake of the gospel and labor for the sake of the gospel alongside their brothers in Christ. We notice that there are couples who serve together and there are individuals who are mentioned. We don't know if they're single or not because we don't know if Paul just decided not to mention the spouse. But what we do know is this, that the church was a diverse entity in Rome. And so Paul, I think, encourages when we care for one another for Christ's sake, when we learn how to accept and live with one another, taking into account those differences that often would seek to separate us. Remember, we have been united by Christ's death and his resurrection. We have been bonded to one another by the Spirit of God for the glory of God as the people of God. Notice how this plays out in Paul's own life, verse 13. Paul says that Rufus's mother, when he, he came to whatever point of life that he ran across them and he got involved in her life, she uh, inside decided that in her sphere of motherly care, she said, Paul, although you're not my child, although you are not born to me, I'm going to bring you in as an outsider into my motherly care and I'm going to act as a mother to you. We saw examples of how to deal with the vision of church in Romans chapter 14 and 15. I, I, I won't go back to that now. We have the sermons online if you choose to go back and listen to be reminded of that. There's an article in Christianity Today written by Philip Yancey in which he's interviewed by, he interviewed a pastor from India that I think gets to the point of this as he talks about diversity in the church and the Christian faith. This Indian pastor said this, he says, most of what happens in Christian churches, including even miracles, can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. But in my area, only Christians strive, however, ineptly to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups. That's the real miracle. Yancey goes on to say diversity complicates rather than simplifies life. 
And perhaps for this reason, we tend to surround ourselves with people of similar age, economic class, and opinion. But church, however, offers a place where infants and grandparents, unemployed and executives, immigrants and blue bloods can come together in Christ Jesus. Paul says when we care, we will seek to live in unity despite our differences because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. Every three years, the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship sponsors a conference. Some of you may have heard of it, Urbana Conference. I don't know if they're still doing it or not, but back in 2009, they had one of these gatherings where they did that. About 16,000 students from all over the world gathered together this conference. And so after one of the main sessions that night, students from various areas of the world broke up uh, into their individual groups uh, and to be able to go and pray and reflect on what had been taught that night by the main speaker who was in the room. And so in one of the banquet halls, uh, Urbana, in light of uh, historical backgrounds, decided to set up this room and they put up these dividers, these walls, so that this, the group, although they were in the same room and they were all believers, that they could be separate from one another because of past history. And in this particular room, there were some students from China, students from Taiwan, and another group of students from Hong Kong. And they each got into their own little section, separated by these walls, because Urbana was concerned that because of what was going on in their countries that had happened in the past, that there might be bitterness and animosity toward one another. And they wanted to keep the peace, so these walls were put up to keep Christians from praying together because they might not like one another. So on one of the nights after the messages, the Chinese students, as they were praying and worshiping the Lord and reflecting on what had been preached that evening and shared with them, they told the leader of their local group, hey, I think it would be right if we should involve and invite some of the others from the other countries to join us in worship. The Taiwanese students received the invitation, and after they sang a little, a little while and spent some time praying, they took down their wall so that they could join together and start praying and singing and, and worshiping together. And as they began to, Chinese and Taiwanese began to, to worship together, those who were from Hong Kong heard what was going on, and they said, you know, I want to be a part of that. So they took down their wall. And about 80 students from these three countries gathered together and worshiped. One of the leaders said, in Christ, we're all family, and in Christ, uh, our political walls and boundaries are broken down. In Christ, we have the desire to make the first steps to connect. The next night, they gathered together in light of this, and the Taiwanese students said to the Chinese students, why don't you lead us in worship? And as they were leading in worship, and as these three groups were getting together, worshiping together, the, the Korean students and the Japanese students heard about what was going on. They said, you know, although we've had some animosity in the past, but because of our relationship to Jesus Christ, that he has linked us, and he's greater than our past, and our political differences are greater than our, our past, why don't we join in with these other countries that we've had issues with in the past, and why don't we all worship together because we all belong to Jesus Christ? The leader said, we are living out what we learned this week in John. This is God with us. One of the girls, after the experience, said it was really moving. This kind of thing would not happen in any other situation. No, people who have all kinds of differences, who, who have a history of animosity, are not going to come together on their own. But when they are united in Christ, there's something greater than all the differences that they have that pulls them together that says there's one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God that we serve, and we're only one family under Christ. 
Brothers and sisters, there's something greater than the difference we have, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So I say to you, as I believe Paul would say to us, be a community that cares for one another because you're all related to Christ, and by Christ you're all related to one another. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would be with us, and you would help us to live out this oneness, Lord, in wise ways so that we might demonstrate your glory to the world. Lord Jesus, when you were here, you said, by this, all men would know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Place that love in our hearts so that we may display it to a watching world so that they might believe that, Heavenly Father, that you sent Jesus into the world to be the Savior of the world. And now, Lord, as we pool our resources together for this offering, we pray that we would use those resources for kingdom purposes. For the good of, of other brothers and sisters in Christ, our local assembly and others throughout this world, for those in our community who don't even yet know you, but we can display your compassion and your care to them so they might consider the message that we carry to the world about Jesus. Would you bless this offering now? In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.